You're listening to Civic Conversations, a podcast collaboration between the League of Women Voters, Bloomington, Monroe County, and WFHB. I'm Jim Allison, your host, and Becky Hill is our producer. We're very pleased to say you can find Civic Conversations every month at WFHB at 93.1 and 98.1 FM. Today, we're pleased to welcome Lisa Marie Napoli, who is Director of Political and Civic Engagement Program, otherwise known as PACE, and she's also the founder of Voices for Democracy and Civility. Lisa Marie, thanks for, for being here today with us. Thank you so much for the chance to be here. Uh, and we got you to talk to us as much as you can or are willing to about the Indiana Civic Health Index, which is now in its fifth edition, first published back in 2011. And I wonder if you could start by telling us a little bit about what civic health is exactly and how it's measured and who put the index together. Great, sure, yeah. So I'll start with the definition that they offer in the Civic Health Index Report. Um, and they say that civic health reflects the degree to which citizens participate in their communities from local and state governance to interactions with friends or family. So they really give us a spectrum there of ways to stay civically healthy. And they add civic health also relates to the overall well-being of neighborhoods, communities, states, and the nation. And this uh, report was compiled um, with leadership from the Indiana Bar Foundation, but I'll name the partners in a moment. The way they pull the information together is that they examine three election cycles, um, basically six elections during 10 years and analyze the trends during that time. And they also uh, examine Hoosiers participation in civic life from 2010 to the present. And they use that information uh, to show what's going on in Indiana with the level of civic health as they define it. Um, the participants who, the partners who are part of creating this document include Indiana Northwest, Indiana Bar Foundation, Indiana Citizen Education Foundation, the Center for Representative Government at Indiana University, the Indiana Supreme Court, Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, the O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs, and the National Conference on Citizenship. A very distinguished collection of groups, I must say. Indeed. Uh, the report talks about the Civic Education Task Force, which made some very notable recommendations in 2020. I was wondering, have those recommendations been implemented and have they encountered any impediments, any opposition? Mm -hmm. So the, Indian, the Civic Education Task Force uh, recommendation report is quite extensive, and it has a lot of great suggestions for how Indiana can improve in the schools and in communities, and by looking at different states for best practices for how to improve. So, so there's a lot in there that they talk about that's very valuable for us to look at. In terms of the progress, I know there has been uh, a release of, of conversations and these initiatives. I don't know how much um, it has hit the pavement, so to speak. I can't speak to that necessarily, but I can say that there's a lot of inspiration and a lot of new ideas generated because of this report and because of the great examples that they propose for um, Hoosiers to look at for improving civic health. Okay, a major um, emphasis on this report is that Indiana always seems to rank very low nationally in terms of voter registration and voter turnout. And your research actually shows that voters often explain their apathy by saying that their votes don't matter. And they've actually got a point there because for example, after 10 years of elections, when a third of the races for the state legislature had no competition and voters had no choice 
and now they face a certain prospect of another 10 years of the very same thing, what's the impact of this gerrymandering on civic health and voter attitudes? Will the current maps perpetuate uncompetitive races and discourage voter turnout? Right, great questions, important questions that we all need to be looking at right now. Um, well, let's just start with the first piece about um, the races and the uncompetitive nature of that. So obviously, if you have more choices on the ballot, it's gonna generate more interest, it's gonna generate more people to go to the polls to vote. And this means the same thing at a local level, state level, or national level. So we see that you know across the country in that way. Um, and it's important that voters remember that each vote is a voice, vote does matter, and that this can change. This, even though we may not be, or Hoosiers may not be inspired to go to the polls because of the race itself, they can go because they matter, their voice matters, and that these decision makers that they put into political positions will in turn have an effect based on the issues, how they approach them, how they address them, and how they vote. So we try to really emphasize that. Voter education is so important at times like this to understand not only the connection between citizens and policy making and how the vote makes the biggest difference in between that process, but also that, um, that we can make a difference in ways in terms of like small D democracy ways, right? Doesn't have to be always the capital D democracy that we're looking at, but that it matters at a, a very local level um, and that we can make a difference in, in regards to shifting that apathy to understanding the impact and to create more energy and um, encouragement around the value of it. Okay, it just happens that I, a couple of days ago, I read some Brown County School essays about voter turnout that tell me two things. The first thing is that Hoosier school children know about our poor turnout, it's no secret. Second thing, they know that a state like Colorado does so much better than Indiana because Colorado actually tries to make it easier to vote by means of measures that we don't have, such as automatic and same-day voter registration, unrestricted absentee voting, election day voting more than 12 hours long, just, just to name a few examples. Should we emulate Colorado? I think that example is a great one to amplify, and we can look at it and see what they're doing, how it's working, what are the positive benefits of what they're doing, what are the challenges and perhaps even drawbacks of what they're doing, because most any decision we make in life has some pros and cons associated, so it's good to look at the whole picture to give it a full assessment and to, to celebrate that and to see, yeah, what could we bring here to Indiana that Colorado's already doing well and doing right? All of that makes a big difference. Um, it's, it really boils down to educating and organizing, right, to be able to figure out what we know, what we can do well, and also if we don't have control over what's happening in the state, we can sure have control over what's happening in our local communities. Uh, for instance, a lot of the work that we do at IU for the Big Ten Voting Challenge, um, we, we include um, input and representation from the Monroe County Election Office with the supervisor, Karen Wheeler. I know Clerk Nicole Brown has been very helpful for us in thinking through issues, especially during COVID when we were really trying to reduce obstacles to students voting and the community voting at large. But since our focus is on students, we want to emulate that as an example for the rest of the community. And I sure would love to tell those Brown County students what how much IU has increased in terms of voter student turnout, because they would be strongly encouraged by that. Um, we have had a, from the 2016 presidential election to the 2020 presidential election, we had a 22 percentage point increase 
let me just say that again, 22% increase of student voter turnout, which far exceeds the national average of 13% too. So, I mean, all that, I would love all of the school kids in, in our larger community and around the state to know that it can be done. Well, that sounds pretty encouraging. <laughs> uh, so. Of course, the legislature plays a very important role here. So let's talk about that. What is the current legislative attitude toward voting in Indiana, would you say? Well, yeah, gauging legislative attitudes is always hard to determine, but I will say this. Uh, obviously, we did not have a no excuse mail-in ballot in our last election, right, in, in November. And we also had limited absentee voting. So, I mean, if that's indicative of the attitude, then that, those are tough, right? That Those are stumbling blocks in some ways toward um, getting out the vote in the fullest way possible. I do know that we have representatives um, in the assembly who are working hard to try to change that. Uh, so we do have our outliers, always important to mention all of the folks in different ways uh, up at the state house. And, um, and I think that if they recognize, if state legislators recognize what's happening with youth voter turnout and recognize the significance of listening to younger 18 to 22 year olds, for instance, because that just so happens to be the population that we work with the most, um, that they, they can listen more and they can pay attention more. And perhaps they will think differently about how they um, implement absentee voting or other measures to become more inclusive with voting access. Well, your optimism is infectious, I must say. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Great. I hope so, because it's real. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, the report uh, mentions something called the Democracy Certified School Program. I wonder if you could tell us something about that, what its requirements are. Yes, yeah, so the Democracy Certified School Program was uh, one of the pieces I mentioned in that very extensive report from the Indiana Civic Education Task Force, their recommendations. Um, and basically, they their recommendation is to establish a democracy certified school program similar to that found in other states, and that's modeled after the Indiana STEM certification program to encourage a holistic approach and improvement in civic education. So in a sense, what they're trying to do here is to get uh, Hoosier schools, if I could call it that, uh, to reimagine schools where democratic principles are deeply embedded within the entire school culture and the structure, uh, allowing civic learning to be reinvigorated in everyday schooling for, for kids in the curriculum and the school environment, uh, leading to create active, engaged, and informed citizens. And so I can't say that without saying that I believe that um, my the program here at IU, the Political and Civic Engagement Peace Program, of course I have a bias, I have the humble honor to direct right now. Um, that's what we do. That's what we've been doing for 12 years. And I think we can model that for high school, school you know, and all different kinds of education systems across the state. Um, I also feel that, um, you know, we have been a resource for high school students. Uh, we have uh, had interns who've worked with us. We try to support them as much as we can. We don't do a lot of direct work with them on a regular, um, you know, sustainable way. I'd like to do that more, but we're not quite there yet with capacity. Um, and so there's lots of possibilities, I think, to, to having that work. Well, let's talk a little bit more about student engagement, which the Civic Health Index does touch on. Uh, and this interested me partly because the League of Women Voters for years has encouraged teaching high school students about the mechanics of voter registration and the mechanics of voting. And it's always advocated, in fact, for student registration of students in school. Is this included in your civic education model? 
Yes, if you, oh, well, first off, I'd like to mention how grateful we are for the League of Women Voters, how they've been a resource for us in doing our work. We do a lot of campus community collaborative work, as I mentioned, and the mechanics of what they offer, especially in terms of training people to register voters and being able to offer nonpartisan information. We are a rigorously nonpartisan program as well, so we align very well with the League and are able to do a lot of good work in that way. Um, so in terms of the mechanisms behind, or the mechanics behind voter registration, voter turnout, and uh, nonpartisan voter education, those mechanics we work hard at regularly. And we do that through um, messaging and campaigning, um, both in uh, local community media, as well as IU-focused media. And uh, we, we offer what we can, when we can, to be able to prepare students to roll this work out. And we, have, we do a lot of tabling outside in the beautiful spring and fall uh, to be able to register voters. So that's just one small example. Okay. Lisa Marie Nackley, thank you very much for being with us today. And to our listening audience, thanks for listening to us on Civic Conversations. This is Jim Allison of the League of Women Voters, Bloomington, Monroe County. The League of Women Voters is a nonpartisan, grassroots, citizen-led organization that has fought since 1920 to improve our government and engage all citizens in the decisions that impact their lives. Next month, we talk to Ranjan Rahachi, who is a professor of mathematics and computer sciences, St. Mary of the Woods, and he'll be talking to us about mathematically drawn redistricting maps. <laughs>